So this semester we are looking at uh, the letter, the epistle of Peter, um, and he's writing to churches that are in exile all throughout the Mediterranean, especially kind of modern day Turkey, and uh, he is talking about major things that he has learned from the Lord Jesus. And just to review, Peter was the very first disciple that Jesus called to follow him. So he was intimately aware of who Jesus was um, and the things that Jesus did, his miracles. He saw them. He was an eyewitness to those things. He was also a huge big mouth who often put his foot in his mouth. Maybe you can relate to that. Uh, he spoke his mind. He was usually the first one to try anything. He was like an a extrovert, a personality, I'm pretty sure. He, was, he owned a fishing company. And Jesus saved him. Jesus showed him uh, himself and his message. And so now he's written this letter for us and for the church to read and to dwell on. So that's what we're doing uh, this semester. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you can look up here. I'm going to read 1 Peter 1, 13 to the end of the chapter. Let me pray. Lord, be with us. Pray for your Holy Spirit. Um, and we pray, just like Francis Grimke, that we would be changed uh, as a result of this. It wouldn't be just information or head knowledge. Uh, that You would bring it down to earth so that we would live lives to glorify you and to love others and to love you. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. All right, hear God's word. He says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. All right, this ends reading of God's holy word. So I'm going to dive right into this. Um, the main idea that Peter is talking about is that we are called to be holy because of the great salvation of Jesus Christ, because he's purchased us with his very blood. He's been broken and bloody, and he died for us. We are therefore called to be holy people and to reflect God. That's the main force of this passage. 
uh, that Peter is giving to us. So if you have been saved, if you know Jesus, if you are what he calls an exile, meaning this world is not our home. The new heavens and the new earth are, are our home, and we are here for a little while as pilgrims through this earth, and we are called to reflect God and to be holy. This is who you are in Christ. He's justified you, he's made you holy, and he's sanctified you, and he's also sanctifying you even more as you live your life. That you will ultimately be totally holy when Jesus Christ is revealed or when you go and go to heaven and be with Jesus. And so God is holy and those who are in his presence must be holy. I mean, this is one of the main ideas of the Bible. So important because it's lost in a lot of churches. It's lost in a lot of theology. We don't talk much about the holiness of God and how he's called us to be holy. There's a book um, by J.C. Ryle, an old, another 19th century minister from England. And he says something like this. I didn't have the exact quote, but he said this. If you don't like holiness and desire holiness, then you won't like heaven. Because heaven is a holy place with a holy God. Let that sink in a little bit. If you're not practicing holiness right now and seeking holiness, then the question really is, is are you preparing yourself for heaven? Are you, do you really want to, are you going to like heaven? Because you have to start preparing yourself for the holiness of God now. Um, Peter is quoting this verse in 1 Peter 1, 15, 16 from Leviticus 44, the command of God saying, you shall be holy for I am holy. And so the question is, what is holiness? So I'm going to just talk about that a little bit right now, because that's a big idea that's all through the Bible. But again, I feel like often it's lost. But it's all through the Bible, everywhere. The holiness of God, the righteousness of God. And in that, the righteousness he requires of us. Okay? And so, if you go back to the very beginning, the Garden of Eden, what do we have? Adam and Eve, when they were created, they were in perfect holiness. There was no sin. There was no brokenness. There was no separation between them and God. They walked with God in the garden. It was a beautiful place. God's holiness permeated the place. God walked with them in the garden and spoke to them face to face. Then what happens? Sin enters in, right? And they believe the, Satan, the serpent, right? And they went against God. And then everything changed. Remember in, in the beginning, they hid from God. They feared God because now they had sin and God is holy. And now they are sinners and they can't be in his presence. And then ultimately what happens is God in the, in the Garden of Eden, he cast them out. Why? Because they could no longer be in that holy place because they were sinners and the tree of life was there. And they couldn't reach out and take the tree of life and, and be sinners and live forever. And so God barred them by a cherubim with a flaming sword. So that's the beginning picture of like the brokenness of man and sin and them being cast out. Why? Because they were no longer holy. So you have this you have this idea going through the scriptures. Will, will anybody, how can we deal with this problem? Because man is a sinner. Men and women are sinners and we're separated. And will there be anyone who's going to come? And right there in Genesis 3, we have the promise that the seed of the woman, who we believe is Jesus, right there in Genesis 3, is going to crush the head of the serpent, Satan. 
And he's going to deal with this problem to make us righteous. But as you go through the Bible, we see holiness and God's judgment displayed with the flood. The reason why the flood came and God's judgment is because people were wicked and everything they did and all their thoughts and being were wickedness against God. And so God brings his, his holy wrath upon them, and but then saves Noah and his family. We see holiness with Moses. And when he was... Um, after he had killed the Egyptian, remember, he fled out into the desert and he was there for some 40 years. And then God appeared to him in a burning bush. And what we notice about the burning bush is no, Moses said, I'm going to go check this burning bush out because it doesn't burn up. And he goes over there and it's God speaking out of this burning bush. And the first thing he says is, um, uh, you know, take off your sandals for this ground is holy. And so we see all through Moses' life when he's later on on the mountain. Remember the mountain? Israel couldn't touch the mountain or come near it. Why? Because God is holy. And if they would touch the mountain, they would be like killed. Okay? They'd be destroyed. But God chose Moses for this special mediatorial relationship just to talk. And it's a picture of Jesus, the mediator. He's able to do that. But the holiness of God is being revealed. Okay, then we have a big picture in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah has this vision, and he sees the, the Lord lifted up, and he basically is taken into the throne room of heaven in the temple, and the Lord is there, and the, the seraphs are crying out around the throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory, and these seraphim had six wings, they were covered their feet, and all parts of their body and their eyes, and they were just doing this constant refrain. We see it again in Revelation where the cherubim were crying out in a constant refrain, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In the scriptures, this, this trifold, holy, 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 that's the only character of God that's mentioned in that three trifold way. So we should take note of that. God's character is ultimately holiness. Nowhere do we see love, 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 grace, 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 mercy, 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 truth, truth, truth. We see holy, holy, holy. Now, the interesting thing about holiness is that in all of those other characteristics, he's also holy. Okay? Meaning, what's it mean? In general, this is the separateness of God. So when he called Israel to be his people, he called them out of their sin to be separate. Okay? Now... He wanted them to be in the middle of the, all the nations, but be different. Not that they were to be like taken out, but they were to be separate and different. Just like if you're a Christian today, you're called to be in the world. You're called to be right there in the dorms. You're called to be rubbing shoulders with your friends, unbelievers, people in your family don't know the Lord. Like you're called to be right in there, but you're called to be different because if you have the Holy Spirit, He's in you, and he's making you a different person to reflect God's holiness. Okay? You got me? So we see this all through the scriptures as this idea of God's moral purity. It's ultimately defined in the Ten Commandments. How do we know what holiness looks like? It looks like the moral law, the Ten Commandments that God gave Israel and he gave us. So all of those things in there... Worshiping God, having no other gods before him, um, honoring his Sabbath, not taking his name in vain, not killing people, but 
promoting life, you know, not committing adultery. This is, this is the road of holiness. This is what he is calling us to. And so ultimately, um, God's holiness is displayed in his moral law. The problem is, as sinners, we can't keep it. As sinners, we have the guilt of Adam, who was our father, and he sinned and we fell in him. But also, our very actions also point to the fact that we are sinners and we're broken and we deserve his wrath. And so, Peter is talking about the church and he's saying, the ultimate thing, because you have been saved out of sin, you're called to be holy. So before I even get into the points of the sermon, I'm going to talk about some applications about holiness because I want to think about you in your situation and me in my situation and the things we go through in a broken world. It's hard to be holy. It is hard to be holy in a broken, sinful world where there's temptation. Luther said the world, the ideas of the world, the flesh, our own sin, and the devil are all attacking you. And they're all saying, like, don't worry about God. Don't worry about his Bible. Don't worry about trying to be holy. Like, just do your thing. Like, live and, like, have fun and party and do your thing, right? Just follow what the world is doing. And all the while, God is saying, and Peter is saying here, be holy, for I am holy. Okay? So, I was just thinking of some ideas, some applications. Some of these are a little bit R-rated. But you're college students, and you need to hear these things because I need to hear these things, okay? So everybody's quiet tonight. I like it. Um, yeah, so come on now. So look, look, holy, here's the thing. Like, holiness is also like a 24-7, all-the-time job. Like, seeking holiness isn't like a part-time thing, even though that's kind of the way we treat it. Um, here's what holiness looks like. It looks like ultimately loving God. With all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And loving your neighbor as yourself. It's holy when you love people. It's holiness when you serve people. It's holiness when you go to camp, try to love them like smelly little, like nine years old, olds that don't use deodorant. Or like maybe like 13 year olds that don't use deodorant. And it gets really rotten in those cabins. Holiness is like calling kids out when they disobey, right? And like trying to deal with conflict. Um, it looks like honoring and serving God, glorifying God in every part of your life as a student, right? As a friend, as a son or daughter with your family. It looks like saying no to lust, fighting against lust, fighting against pornography, fighting against masturbation. I'm going to say it. It means like seeking to be holy in your body. Okay. Some have called masturbation solo sex. Okay. It's good. That's a good look for it. But, but it's against what God is calling us to in terms of sexuality being what he deems as, as between a man and a woman for life in a married relationship. So anything outside of that is considered sin. And we need to like recognize that. Okay. Um, it might mean because of those issues of pornography in our culture, it might be like removing something in our life, like blocking certain things on our computer or our smartphone, right? It might mean, you know what, I can't look at something as simple as Instagram anymore because when I look at Instagram and I look at search 
I see all these like half naked people there, right? And I might have to say, I can't look at that right now. I'm going to remove that. That's what holiness looks like. It means like dealing with your sin in a radical way. Okay? It doesn't mean cutting off things as Origen tried to do. The, the, you know, the church father, there's a verse about like, you know, if your right hand causes you to sin, like cut it off. Like he took that not, not as a hyperbole of Jesus. He literally castrated himself. Okay? Because of that. Okay? That's like getting real, but like, no, that's not what that means. But it means getting severe with your heart and like who you are and your sin. I'm speaking to myself right here too, okay? So uh, it looks like repentance when you fall in that area, like acknowledging it to God. Like when you slip up, like, Jesus, like, help me, <laughs> like, forgive me. It looks like calling a friend, a Christian friend and saying, I need you to help me. I'm in a fight club myself, okay, with some other ministers. And one of those ministers texted me today about something. And he said, pray for me because I'm struggling against, you know, X, Y, Z. That's what it means to be holy. It means you recognize we are in a simple world. The world, flesh, and devil is just crushing us. And there's never been a time like this where you have anonymous, like, pornography sex. You used to have to, like, go to the 7-Eleven and buy it, Okay. You don't have to do that anymore. It's anonymous. But guess what? It's not anonymous because the ultimate issue of holiness is you recognize God is watching and he knows everything. And it's really easy in our lives to like separate God and think, okay, now I have my space. I can do what I want. No, God is right there. Okay. It's like the old days. You got to leave room for the Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, okay. It looks like I'm still talking about sexuality, honoring your boyfriend or girlfriend's body, knowing that their body's not your body, it's, it's the Lord's body, it's, and it's a temple of the Lord, and so if you're not married, you can't have sex, or what I would call playing on the edges of intercourse, um, and you can probably realize what that is. Um, it looks like honoring God in your classes and not cheating, not plagiarizing stuff not cutting corners. It looks like honoring the law of the land when it comes to underage drinking or honoring God with your body in terms of illegal substances and realizing like, I can't do that. I'm a temple of the Lord, okay? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So it's this big idea of like God's everywhere and he sees me and he loves me and he wants the best for me. All these things I'm talking about Sexuality, these are good things, good parts of creation. Sin has destroyed them and twisted them, but they, these are good things. But we, in our idolatry, twist them and take them out of where they should be. Does that make sense? And that's how we go against God. Um, it looks like remembering God with your money and your resources. Okay, I know you don't make much money now, but like later. Um, you might want to tie, you might want to give to Camp Ligonier, you might want to give to RUF, just saying. You might want to, you, you want to give 10% to your church as a tithe, but it, it, it's like saying, my money is not my own. Like, God is the one who gave me this job, gave me this mind, gave me the ability to work. Like, God, you are in my life. Like, holiness means, like, honoring you with everything I have. It looks like helping people in need. It looks like Remembering the broken areas in our community and trying to do things and serve people and be involved with mercy ministry. It looks like 
Um, uh, loving your roommates when they're driving you crazy and listening to them when you just want to like be by yourself. Okay, it it's hard, right? Like if there's a personality conflict or there's just stuff that's bothering you, it looks like God help me love this person. <laughs> like I just want to like punch them, but like help me to love this person, right? That's what holiness looks like. It's a 24-7 job. Having hard conversations when there's conflict. Okay, when there's a rift in relationships. When something's wrong. It, lo it looks like let's, like, let's talk about this. Let's, like, bring this out in the open and trust that God will reconcile us, right? Instead of just, like, going on and then never talking to that person, ignoring them. Um, holiness. It's, it's full. It's like the whole... It's how you live out the Ten Commandments in your life. And guess what? We can't do it. Because we're sinners. Even if you're saved, right? You can't do it in your own strength. None of these things I just said can you do. I can't do them. Only by God's grace and the Holy Spirit can you do these things and love Him. Okay? That was all the application. Now I'm going to buzz through this. Okay, this is, this is the motivation. To do those things, okay? How do we do this? One, we need a gospel-saturated mind, okay? In this passage, 13 and 14, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So he says, therefore, first thing is look back. Whenever you see therefore in the Bible, look back. Chapter 1, he's talking all about the beauty of the gospel. And he's talking about, you know, blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who's, who's given us this amazing gospel. It's undefiled, um, kept in heaven for us. He's talking about remembering what Jesus did for us. That's the gospel. Um, he's saying um, that you have to, it, holiness starts in the mind. It's a battle for the mind. He's like saying, you know, prepare your minds. Uh, be sober-minded. Uh, um, you know, do not be conformed to your, to your former ignorance. So it's all about the mind. Holiness starts in the mind. It's when the mind starts slipping, right, and going off into other directions that we get into trouble. Because what starts there and what we start believing there, then goes out into our body and our actions, right? So the mind is so important. And so Peter's saying, battle against the sin, battle uh, for holiness in your mind. And it reminds me of Romans 12 too, where Paul says a similar thing, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And ultimately, how do we renew the mind? Well, it's by remembering the gospel. And so he's looking back, verses 1, or chapter 1, 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So you work out your salvation by looking back to what Jesus has done. And continuing to remind yourself, Jesus loves you. He died for sinners like you. He died for people that are broken and struggling with temptation. 
And he really, really loves you, and he came and he died for you, and he is with you in the battle, and he's going to help you in your battle for holiness. And so we fight against our sin. We fight against the sinful thoughts, the lusts, the old desires, not just by, like, rote, uh, you know, self-effort, but by getting our minds off ourselves and onto the beauty of what Jesus did for us. He's like, take it off yourself. And get it on to like Jesus and what he did, right? And so this is how we fight it. Um, our problem is we forget and we're conformed and we're squeezed in to the culture. Your, your mind is always telling you something. You know that, right? You're, it's always speaking to you. It's like self-speak. It's like some of it's like the culture's influence or whatever, right? And it's like worrying about something or anxious about something. Or it's always speaking to you. And what Peter is trying to do and what Paul is trying to do is like say, no. Like, remember Jesus and preach this gospel to your heart. And then he says, it's also future. He says, think ahead. The revelation of Jesus Christ is coming. There's going to be even more grace. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. This is verse 13. Or no. Uh, ultimately, he's saying this. We were saved when Christ died. We are being saved. And we will fully be saved when Christ comes. We are saved. We are being saved. We will be fully saved when Jesus comes. Like, it's not over yet. There's, a, there's another grace coming. The grace when Jesus is revealed. I think we, for, we I forget this. Like, oh, there's going to be something big happening in the revelation of God. Jesus coming again. And that is going to be such an amazing thing. We, Peter is saying, think about that. Think about the grace when Jesus comes down and all your sin is gone and death is gone and cancer is gone and, you know, poverty is gone and Jesus makes all things new. It's like, think about that grace. It's going to be real. It's going to be unbelievable, right? It's going to be amazing. And so it starts in the mind about looking back at what Jesus did, but also remembering what he's coming to do. And our sinful minds controlled by the culture are basically not thinking about any of those things. It's we buy into the secular mindset of like, there is no God, we have to make our life, we can't, we, we're stuck where we are. Um, we're thinking, I don't know who said it, one of the old, so eat, drink, and be merry. Who said that? Josh Bates? Uh, I mean, that's in the Bible. I know, but, he, but Paul quoted somebody else. But that's the idea, man, that's, isn't that, I mean, we've been doing that for thousands of years, eat, drink, and be merry. Like, for tomorrow we die. Like, don't worry about anything. Just, like, worry about yourself right now and have fun. Okay? The gospel is saying, no. Like, fight in your mind. Remember that, like, this is, like, that little fun that you had, like, partying, that's nothing compared to heaven, the new heavens and new, new earth, and just the beauty and the glory of God and being, being with God and being made right. Like, that's what's going to be really, really, really fun. And, and he says, we're going to enjoy the finest meat. And the finest of wine. So there's going to be a party there. Um, so meditate on that. Two, proper fear of God. Proper fear of God is how we stay holy. And this is this idea of quorum deo, before the face of God. Thinking about living your life with God. Always in view of you. Peter says, be holy in all your conduct. 16, 17. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear. 
throughout the time of your exile. He's talking to believers, and he's talking about this concept of fear of the Lord. It's one of the big concepts, again, all through Scripture. In Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Basically saying the acknowledgement that God is creator, that you are the creator, you're dependent on him, and you think about your life in a proper way. It's not if a lion came in here and like we all run away, like that kind of fear, but it's an all reverent, like worship, worshipful fear of God, realizing he is powerful and his judgment is real and he could judge you, okay? But for the Christian, that ultimate judgment and wrath of God has been taken away at the cross. Okay, but he's still saying to Christians, you need to fear the Lord. And here's how I was thinking about it. Say if your parents allow you, maybe, maybe this is going to come, come home to you, but like your parents, you're 16 and a half years old, your parents let you borrow the car with your friends. Okay, so it's Friday night, about 730. It's like, hey, yeah, we're, you know, like... Mom and me are going out for a date. We're going to give you the, the, the other car. And I know you got some friends, so I'm giving you the new car tonight. Okay, or the newer car. So they give you the keys, man, and you're just like cruising around. It's like freedom. And uh, you're, you're, just, you're just doing, you're enjoying it, man. You pick up your friends. And one of your friends is like saying, man, how fast can this thing really go? How fast can this thing really go? And so you're on one of those like, Roads and like there's nobody there. It's like flat, wide open. It's safe, okay. And you're hitting the pedal to the metal, like you're seeing, seeing how those like you know the, those uh, pistons can go. And like as you like crest, you know, a little hill, and you're going like I don't know, let's say 95 miles an hour. You see your parents coming by. On the other way, and they see you, and they know that you are speeding, and what do you do? You, like, hit the brake. Like, you slow down, right? You hit the brakes. Now, they love you, right? You're in their family. They are, they're going to discipline you, but they're not going to cast you out. That's what God's reverent fear and discipline is like. The Heavenly Father loves you. You're in His family. He's never going to cast you away. But He's going to discipline you in a loving way to get your attention. Okay? And so, this is the... So, but at the moment when you were with your friends, you forgot something. You forgot that this is not my car. This is my parents' car. I need to be a good steward of this car. They, I can enjoy this car, but like you forgot all about that. You're just trying to like do what you want to do with your friends. You're not thinking them at all until they come by. Then you think about them. To some extent, that's how we live before God. We do all these things, and then all of a sudden, oh yeah, that's right, God. All of us do that. The goal is, is that we continue to be reminded how through the scriptures, through fellowship, through church, where we're continually being reminded. And that's the last thing. The powerful and perishable word. He says at the end that it's all about the word of God. That there's something connected with God's imperishable word that also works in our hearts through the spirit to change us and make us holy. The word and God's work and God's holiness go together. We don't even know what holiness means without the word. We don't know the direction or how to obey God without the word, right? So you have to be in the word, and this word is going to save you. He says this, 
um, through the, he says, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. He's saying that the word of God, the written word and the word, the Lord Jesus, is what saved you. And that word is also going to make you holy and keep you. Okay? This is the word, this is the good news that was preached to you. So Hebrews 4 is all about the word being like a sword, two-edged sword that is dividing our hearts and minds, right? Jesus answers Satan in Luke 4, how? With the word of God in the Old Testament. Every time he's tempted to not be holy, he says, he says scripture. That's the weapon against uh, being the world, the flesh, and the devil. But we forget it. And so we need to be, you know, meditating on the word, reading the word, listening to the word, memorizing, telling the word to one another. Because that is how we fight against our own idols. Okay, and with that, uh, we're gonna sing a beautiful song called Holy, 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 which deals with this idea how the Lord is holy, and uh, we're gonna rejoice in that. So the team come on up, and let's close with this.